From Toronto, Canada, The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. Thanks for inviting me into your home, your long-haul truck, RV, camper, taxi, that greasy spoon just off the interstate, and your cabin in the woods. A hearty how-do. Hi to those of you listening in on one of our growing list of affiliates. Those, of course, catching us on the podcast, TalkZone.com. Those, of course, listening in on the Conspiracy Show app. Great, great uh, app. Free download from Google Play and iTunes, the Conspiracy Show app. Uh, wherever and however you're listening, I bid thee welcome and I thank you for your fine company. Uh, investigative journalist John Rappaport, the founder of No More Fake News, is standing by in sunny Southern California to talk about, uh, well, a whole uh, smorgasbord, GMOs, uh, something John calls mind control through the information flicker effect. We'll also talk vaccines, uh, Brexit, uh, whatever else we can fit in. Just a reminder, The Conspiracy Show, Seasons 1, 2, and 3, available in the U.S. on Hulu. Uh, you know, there is so much uh, going on right now, it almost makes your head spin. And, of course, so much of what we get from what we like to call the MSM, the mainstream media, is manufactured, a manufactured reality. A recent poll, I think it was back in April, in the United States, found, get this, nearly 70% of Americans do not trust the mainstream media. No surprise there for many of us. And increasingly, of course, people now are getting their information from alternative sources, independent journalists. And when I say independent journalists, I'm not talking about a group that has come to be called, you know, the citizen journalists. These are individuals that really have no training and anyone that knows, you know, how to make a website, you know, can get out there and spout anything they'd like. I'm talking about highly trained, ethical, credentialed men and women who left the MSM out of frustration, who found the MSM was so corrupt, so biased, they could no longer function there. They couldn't, they had to leave. And now they, uh, they write books, they make documentary films, they lecture, they, they publish online, they write blogs. One such is a real favorite of mine in this program, uh, John Rappaport. Uh, you can read his frequent reports at a terrific website, nomorefakenews.com. He's worked as a freelance investigative reporter for over 30 years, the author of three explosive collections, The Matrix Revealed, Exit from the Matrix, and Power Outside the Matrix. He's written articles on politics, health, media, culture, and art for LA Weekly, Spin Magazine, Stern, Village Voice, Nexus, CBS Health Watch, and other newspapers and magazines in the U.S. and Europe. And he has lectured extensively all over the U.S. on the question, who runs the world and what can we do about it? Since 2000, John has operated largely away from the mainstream because, as he puts it, my research was not friendly to the conventional media, quote, end quote. And over the last 30 years, his independent research has encompassed such areas as deep politics, conspiracies, alternative health, the potential of the human imagination, mind control, the medical cartel, symbology and solutions to the takeover of the planet by hidden elites. He maintains a consulting practice for private clients, the purpose of which is the expansion of personal creative power. And to boot, he's a painter as well. His, been, his work has been shown in galleries in L.A. and New York, and his poetry has been published by the Massachusetts Review. A graduate of Amherst College with a B.A. in philosophy, he lives with his lovely wife, Laura, in San Diego. John Rappaport, welcome back to The Conspiracy Show. How are you? Uh, very good. Good to be here, Richard. Great to have you back. Um, so much to talk about. Uh, I want to talk about uh, uh, Brexit, of course. Uh, several weeks ago, we had the uh, uh, the big vote, which caught, 
Well, it's funny, you know, the mainstream media, here we go again. They say, wow, we didn't see this coming. Um, and it, mind you, it was a, it was a fairly tight uh, race, uh, about four percentage points. But um, now uh, Great Britain uh, poised. It's going to be a long, messy divorce, no doubt, but they're going to leave uh, the EU. Your thoughts? Lots of thoughts on this. Of course, uh, major media is screaming. Loud protests. How could they have done this? They're wrecking the global economy. They have no idea what they just did in order, you know, to get out of the uh, European Union, etc., etc., etc. It's as if they built this gigantic structure in Europe. This. <laughs> incredible bureaucracy of gigantic proportions overseeing all the member countries and they just assumed that no one would ever want to leave you know that's verboten mm. I mean, the idea that you could decide to leave is just unthinkable in other words the countries now become slaves right it's like the okay, hotel we, california you can check in but you can never leave Exactly. So when it happens, it's just, you know, in their view, absolutely preposterous and chaos will result and so forth. How could you have been so stupid? But actually, the way it seems to be shaking out, and uh, one never knows uh, what other stories will crop up or evidence, people just said, we're fed up. We don't like this arrangement. We want to get out of the marriage. And so we will. And of course, it was a very close vote, but that's the way it swung. And uh, now the divorce happens. We'll take possibly two years, unless the EU just says, get out now. I see it as decentralization of power. Mm. And that's a phrase, if people will take notice, that used to be uh, currency for activists of all stripes. Yeah. Uh, who recognize Act you know, locally, think globally. Act locally, think globally. Yeah. Who, who recognize that the powers that be were extending their realm in a very dangerous way over the whole planet, sometimes called globalism, and that something needed to be done about it, and what needed to be done was power had to flow back down to where it originates with the people, exactly. as opposed to the institutions and structures. But that phrase has been rubbed out of media, as people will notice when they think about it and re try to remember the last time they saw it, in any significant way in any major media article or broadcast. But now, it's a crime. Hmm. Can't decentralize. Yes, it's all, now it's xenophobia. Exactly. If you decide you want out, then you're some kind of a criminal. So now we're really seeing the paradigm of the police state versus the people. Because that's the hallmark. You can't leave. You can't get out. You're here for good. How dare you try? That automatically brands you as a criminal. 
if you try that. Right. So that's what I'm seeing here. This is the way the whole thing is being positioned and shaped by media. And, of course, there's a great deal of gloss that's been laid on all this. Socialism is the most wonderful system ever devised, and countries flourish under it, and the EU is a... A wonderful illustration of that, and the whole purpose of this uh, gigantic faceless bureaucracy is to promote equality among all people, and this is moving us toward uh, utopia, and we're all together in this, brothers and sisters, etc., etc. This is the cover story that's been used. It's kind of a religious cover story. Indeed, indeed. You know what's interesting, John, when they looked at the, the, the breakdown of the vote, and, and most young people uh, voted to stay uh, inside the um, the EU, uh, despite the fact that it is not, uh, well, as, uh, as uh, Nigel Farage, the um, a bit of a political hero of mine, the, uh, the leader of the UKIP party, uh, put it, uh, it's not... Um, uh, it's not undemocratic, the EU. It's anti-democratic. And, and despite and, and the influence of big corporations and so forth, you had young people voting as a block to stay in the EU. And yet those same young people are the ones that we see wearing the masks, the professional protesters who show up at the WTO meetings, the World Trade Organization meetings, and the G20 summits, and are the same people that are behind all of those things are behind the EU. So on the one hand, they're protesting over here, and on the other hand, I mean, I guess that's a witness to the, the brainwashing that's going on in our colleges and universities. I'm just going to read you a piece, a paragraph out of one of my articles. What a monstrous joke it is that the young in Britain voted to remain in the EU, which, of course, is a right arm of globalist forces. Mm. The same young yammer and protest against globalism, but because they're absolutely clueless, they want to remain in the EU. The young turned into useless products of the education system. There you go. I mean, yes, this is a ridiculous uh, contradiction. And these young voters who wanted to stay in the EU are completely unaware of it. They just don't see it. They can't look from one arm to the other and recognize the connection. And there you have it. The other thing I think that somebody had a very uh, interesting tweet today, uh, and I was looking for it earlier. I can't find it now. But whoever is responsible, I, I give full credit. But it, this is not mine. But what they said was this: you know, this this, uh, this vote is an illustration that culture trumps politics. What do you think? I think so. In a democracy. We elect officials so we can sleep at night. So why are you up? 416-360-0740 or toll free at 1-866-740-4740. We are back with investigative reporter John Rappaport and uh, the website nomorefakenews.com. How do people get a hold of the, uh, the three editions of the Matrix series, John? Well, they just go to No More Fake News and they'll see uh, links where they can read about the contents of uh, each collection, and if they want to order it, they can. There are articles that I have been publishing pretty much every day for the last 15 years, and they can also sign up for the uh, email list 
to get articles in their email box. And just give us a sense what 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 those these are like CD-ROMs, right? The, the, these uh, matrix. Well, series. yeah, it's all digital. Uh, some text, a, a great deal of audio, huge amounts of material that I've uh, put together over the last ten years or so. Uh, for example, in the Matrix Revealed, there's a great deal of deep information about mind control, and not just the familiar themes and strategies and so forth, but actual interviews with, uh, in one case, a former insider, a propaganda, retired propaganda operative, quite high up, who finally decided that he had had enough. And so... In dozens of interviews with him, he lays out the actual way that propaganda is done, uh, the sources, the way it is uh, played about and laid upon the public, and the psychological apparatus that uh, underpins it. In other words, from studies of people's reactions, from studies of the way people think, from studies of the way that uh, people respond to uh, all sorts of influences that uh, one would not ordinarily think about, such as rhythm and uh, tone of voice and pacing, space, time itself. Uh, These are deep studies that are not made public. Propaganda is formed with the intent of ruling over the mind. And so that's just one illustration. Many, many text interviews with him that cover really the whole waterfront in a way that uh, I've never seen before on the subject of mind control. So that's just one example. Well, and and um, further to that, one of your recent uh, dispatches at nomorefakenews.com um, is uh, about what you call mind control through the information flicker effect. What do you mean by the information flicker effect? In that particular article, I used the example of the Sandy Hook shooting, but you could use many, many events as examples. Orlando. Orlando, sure. The point of it is that when an event like that takes place, first of all, all the information comes from official sources. It doesn't matter how many, quote, reporters in the field are are uh, talking to the anchor in the studio or even if the anchor uh, deigns to show up himself and stand on a hill overlooking the town and so forth and so on. No actual reporting is taking place, zero. All of the information is coming from the police, from the FBI, the government official sources. And you will see as this happens that certain storylines develop and then they disappear. Mm-hmm. Yes. Uh, we caught a shooter in the woods. Right. Uh, really? Well, uh, stay tuned. Here mm-hmm. we got to hear what happened. Oh, mm-hmm. Never hear about it again. We've got somebody prone down on the ground in front of the school. Wow, who is that? Is that the same guy who was in the woods? We don't know. The story comes, it disappears, it's never heard from again. Uh, there were three weapons in the trunk of the car of the shooter. No, there was one. It was this kind of weapon. No, it was that kind of weapon. Uh, the shooter's uh, father was killed in New Jersey. What? No, it wasn't the father in New Jersey. It was the mother in Connecticut. What? How did, you know, how did this happen? But 
the point is that such amounts of cognitive dissonance are created in the viewing audience with these little threads right. that start and go nowhere, that the only option is you either turn it off or you surrender to the anchor who is delivering the story. The high priest. The high priest. If you surrender to him or her, you are now inside the mind control apparatus. You just accept everything. You no longer ask questions because every time you ask one of these questions, what happened to that uh, bit and that storyline that disappeared? You're now outside the flow. And people are very much addicted to story. They want to have story. They want to follow the story. Right. And, and the narrative so has to make sense for us. Otherwise, I mean, uh, you know, our reality gets turned upside down. So we want exactly. to stay in that flow just to, to maintain our sanity. Exactly. Of course, it's completely insane, but it's looked at as sanity. So that's what happens to the overwhelming majority of viewers. They just accept the story because in their tremendous frustration at these little storylines that appear, tantalize, and then disappear, they experience such confusion and uh, cognitive dissonance that they see no other option. They just say, well, I'm just going to have to surrender and go along, and right. that's what they do. Survival well, mechanism. this is an enormously effective method of controlling people's minds. So then what is... Um what are you saying here? That a lot of these loose threads, uh, these early reports, another example, you know, when we talk about uh, John Kennedy Jr., we, we, the early reports was that it, you know, the, there was, there was no, uh, the, the, uh, no, no clouds in the sky. It was a beautiful day for a plane ride. Uh, and then the next thing we hear, it was horrible weather. Uh, you know, with Oswald, uh, what did they find at the, on the sixth floor? It was a Mauser. No, it was a, it was the humanitarian rifle. Are you saying that these, false leads or these these threads that go nowhere are manufactured or are they the, the, the truths that get buried and forgotten? I'd say it's a mix of the two. Some are manufactured, some are true that are abandoned. But in either case, what the, the broadcaster, the high priest, as you say, the anchor does with all of this is he moves along as if it doesn't matter as if there is no contradiction involved here at all, as if there is nothing to really inquire about or investigate beyond what he's saying, and that's how he makes the big paycheck, because he knows how to do that. He's a storyteller, he's an actor, and he's good at it. I mean, we're talking now about, say, in America, the, the head national news anchors. They're very good at doing this kind of seamless storytelling that can overlook myriad contradictions and pretend that they never happened, they were never there, and just roll right along and the audience follows. So, yes, some of these little threads are manufactured on purpose to go nowhere. Others are the beginning of truth that is then dropped like a stone and never referred to again, but... Either way, the anchor knows how to deal with it in order to create this hypnotic effect on the audience. As, you're, as you were describing that, John, I was thinking of this little-known local reporter in Dallas, Texas, 
who on November the 22nd or shortly thereafter was asked to, um, well, it was after November 22nd. It was he was asked to comment on the Zapruder film, and here we we have the voice of Dan Rather telling us, uh, despite what our eyes see, that John Kennedy's head is moving forward after the fatal headshot, not backwards, as our eyes are telling us. And what happens to Dan Rather? I mean, he's catapulted uh, to the to the top and becomes, of course, the CBS uh, anchor after the uh, retirement of Walter Cronkite. Exactly. That's exactly that kind of thing. I'll tell you another story. Uh, try to boil it down here. Talk about cognitive dissonance. In the summer of 2009, late in the summer, during the so-called swine flu epidemic, in the U.S., the Centers for Disease Control was saying there was something on the order of 10,000 cases of swine flu in America, and it was spreading and so forth and so on. So a lone reporter for CBS News, to my mind, the only investigative reporter they had, Cheryl Atkinson, mm-hmm. she discovered that, in fact, the Centers for Disease Control had stopped counting the number of swine flu cases in America. I mean, this was their job to count and to report. This was their main job, and they just stopped cold. And they didn't tell anyone that they stopped. So she decided to find out why. And what she discovered was that of all the blood samples, and there were many, 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 from the most likely swine flu patients and diagnosed swine flu patients that had been sent to laboratories all over America, the overwhelming majority were coming back with no trace of swine flu or any other kind of flu. Mm. So, in other words, there was a huge hoax going on of which the CDC was completely aware. And I interviewed her about this, and she said that her editor thought it was the most original story on the whole so-called epidemic that he had seen, and they proceeded to try to get it on television after they published it, and they did, on the CBS News website. And suddenly they ran into a brick wall. There was no possible way that this scandal, this gigantic hoax, was going to be revealed on the nightly CBS News. No matter what they did, nothing. About three weeks later, the Centers for Disease Control, who was obviously in a panic because they were going to be exposed on all fronts. You know, they're saying there are thousands of these cases and they have absolutely no evidence the whole so-called epidemic was a complete dud. And that was the last thing they were going to confess to. So they decided to double down. And they said that their newest estimate was that in the U.S. there were 22 million cases of swine flu. 22 million. Oh, my. And I've had the quote. I've seen the quote. I've published the quote and the source, WebMD. So there you have cognitive dissonance of an enormous degree, and you have a thread that started out and was completely abandoned, never to appear again. No other major news outlet picked up Cheryl Atkinson's work and reported on it or tried to extend it or investigate to see, you know, who are the real guilty parties here, who are the names, what did they do, how did they cover this all up. It just disappeared completely as if it had never happened.
and the news just rolled on with the same old stories about swine flu, and it was just paved over completely. Sounds familiar. Uh, being replayed again right now, this time it's the Zika virus. Uh, we'll, um, uh, let me just ask my, my producer, Damien, how much time do we have before our next break again? we got a minute. Okay, well, let's take a time out now. Uh, and then we come back, we'll get an update on uh, the Zika virus. And uh, my gosh, I mean, uh, poor Brazil hosting the, uh, the Olympics this year, just getting hammered, hammered uh, by all these news reports about uh, Zika. How much truth uh, is there to it? We'll find out. John Rappaport, no more fake news.com, investigative reporter with me here on The Conspiracy Show. Don't go away. Poking holes in the darkness. The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. Welcome back to The Conspiracy Show. Richard Serrett with you. John Rappaport on the line from beautiful San Diego and, of course, founder, director of nomorefakenews.com. John, again, the Matrix series. There are three of them. How do people get those? Just go to my website, nomorefakenews.com. You'll see the links and uh, explanations of what is in each collection, and you can order them. Let's get an update on uh, on the Zika virus. So now we're told that there are a number of cases of babies with this uh, form of, I guess, encephalitis that has been caused by they they say the CDC says is is Zika, and of course we're all familiar now with what's going down on down in Brazil, the Olympics not going so well for them down there. People are no. frightened. So what's the latest? What do you hear? What do you know on on the Zika virus? Okay, well. Let me start at the beginning and just try to bring everybody up to speed quickly. Originally, the story broke out of Brazil. Look, we've seen a tremendous upsurge in cases of microcephaly, which means in babies, they are born with much smaller heads and brain damage. So on the heels of this story, immediately, we know the cause. The cause is the Zika virus. Nobody's ever heard of this before, but you do a little research and you discover that it was discovered in 1947, never known to cause anything. Mild, transient illness, no treatment necessary. It's already in many places around the world, India, other places. But all of a sudden now it's being blamed for this. And this is over 4,000 cases suddenly cropping up in Brazil of babies born with this severe, tragic birth defect. So because I've covered these kinds of stories many times with different so-called epidemics, I knew where to look. And so I began to see, okay, what's the research really on this? And as of now, the latest figures I've been able to find out of Brazil confirmed cases of microcephaly, not way over 4,000, but 854 in the entire country. And of these, in only 97 cases has there been discovered any trace whatsoever of the Zika virus. Now, what people have to understand is that when researchers are looking to say this virus causes that condition, the first thing they have to be able to do is find the virus in all cases of the condition or 
overwhelmingly most cases of the condition. In order to establish causation. In order to establish causation. If they can't do that, they say, that was a dud, we go back to the drawing boards and we look for other causes. But they didn't do that. And, of course, the World Health Organization immediately muscled into Brazil, and articles began to appear, Zika virus connected to microcephaly, etc., 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 pregnant women at risk all over the world, huge scaremongering, don't get pregnant, uh, postpone your pregnancy for three years. In Central and South American countries where they severely limit abortion or make it completely illegal, uh, companies began to spring up with boats taking women, pregnant women, outside the three-mile limit into international waters and giving them abortions. That is, as far as I know, still taking place. So the fear factor was gigantic, and it still is. And yet, there is no credible evidence whatsoever that this virus has anything to do with this birth defect. That's the long and the short of it. And again, uh, give us those numbers. Confirmed cases of this... 854. 854 cases of this, uh, this birth defect. And of those, they say they have found some trace of the Zika virus in 97 cases. So just around, what, maybe 12% of the cases. Yeah, I mean, you know, every honest researcher will tell you this is counter-evidence. This proves that that virus is not the cause. Remarkable. And in, in, in a population of Brazil, I don't, I don't have the figure in front of me, I'm guessing, what, maybe 150 million people in Brazil? Maybe. Uh, it is very large, however, and yeah. diverse. And by the way... It is the biggest user of pesticides in the world, of any country. And many of those pesticides uh, are banned in other countries because they are too toxic, but they are used in Brazil. Neurotoxins, i got to jump in here, John. We'll take a time out. We'll come back and continue. No more fake news. Director John Rappaport here on The Conspiracy Show. Question everything. This is The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. Welcome back. John Rappaport stays with us. No more fake news.com. And, uh, John, before the break, we were talking about uh, the Zika virus in Brazil and, uh, you know, the small number of confirmed, um, uh, well, it's not, we don't want to minimize it. I mean, 800 and, you know, almost 900 uh, uh, cases of this uh, birth defect where children are born with very small heads. Uh, but of those, just over 10%, um, there was a trace of, of the Zika virus. So you're saying far from, from providing evidence or proof that Zika is causing this birth defect, it's actually the opposite. It proves that Zika is not causing it. There is no causation, no correlation. Um, now, you were mentioning, though, that in Brazil, um, the high use of uh, uh, pesticides... Now, were these, were these clusters of... Were there clusters of this particular birth defect found... Uh, in and around, for example, plants that produce this insecticide? Well, we're talking about spraying of pesticides and gigantic corporations that manufacture the pesticides. So the answer to that is yes. In the general northeast area, they certainly use pesticides. And not only that, but a group of uh, dissident Brazilian doctors some months ago revealed that the government had put 
something called a larvicide into water supplies in various places in the country. Did not announce it, just did it. And, of course, that's a pesticide. It kills the larvae of mosquitoes that supposedly deliver the Zika virus to people when they bite them. Right. And so these doctors, a large group of them, said, hey, wait a minute. This is a far more likely cause of what's happening here in the country. Not only that, but in 2014, for the first time, a vaccine was recommended for pregnant women in Brazil, the so-called Tdap vaccine, tetanus, diphtheria, uh, whooping cough uh, vaccine that contains aluminum, which is a known neurotoxin. Mm. So it can cross the blood-brain barrier. And now reported cases of birth defect, well, one of the places you would certainly look is the vaccine. But this is not happening, of course, in mainstream research and never does happen. It's always about we've got to find the virus. That is the, you know, the mandate immediately, right off the top. And in fact, the CDC, Center for Disease Control in America, has a group. It's existed for, gee, I would say almost 80 years now, called the Epidemic Intelligence Service, which I call the medical CIA. Mm. They train doctors, uh, serious training, and the graduates afterwards are on call at any time pack a bag, go here in the world, go there in the world, we sense there's an outbreak here of something or other, and we need to find the cause. Well, all of these doctors are trained to look for the virus. That's what they do. No matter what the environmental conditions are, and I could cite you other cases where it's obvious that what they were looking at, these uh, CIA medical type people, had nothing to do with the germ. It was something patently obvious in the environment, they are always looking for and they inevitably find a virus. And they say, well, here it is. This is a cause. Focus. This is what's happening. Here we go. It's, it's right out of the playbook of, well, I was going to say it's Nixonian, but it's, uh, it's, almost, it's also Obama's trick where you, you, stick the, you sick the IRS on, uh, on your political enemies. So now you, I mean, is that the case here that somehow Brazil... I don't know because they're one of the BRIC countries, and they're they've they've signed on to this big infrastructure bank that that China's trying to get off the ground as a kind of as a in opposition of the IMF. Is is Brazil being made to pay for that? Um, you know that sin. Is that what this is all about? I think so. I think that this is one of the attacks that's being leveled at Brazil because it is one of the most vulnerable countries in the five. BRICS nations, and this really has, among other things, this is not the only thing, thrown a monkey wrench into the Olympics, which is supposed to be, for any country that hosts it, this is our pride, this is what we can do, this is what we can show to the world, here it is, and now they're suffering the humiliation of athletes saying, I'm not going, I'm not going, because, and they sometimes mention Zika. I'd rather stay home. And then you have a situation where 
the athletes are being sort of super protected against the possibility of infection and so on and so forth, and people are being warned. Uh, you know, you could bring the Zika virus back to your home country after the games. So I'm sure that this is eating into considerable tourist dollars of people who would otherwise go to the Olympics in Rio but are staying home because they want to have nothing to do with this uh, thing that they're frightened of that has nothing to do with anything. This, oh, the Zika is here and so on. People are staying home. So revenues are going to dry up. It's going to be a financial catastrophe for the city of Rio, the Olympics. And uh, it'll be very telling uh, once the Olympics have come and gone, and you know who knows, you know how they'll go. But um, once they've come and gone, do you suspect then that the whole Zika virus uh, story will also disappear because the Olympics are gone? Well, it'll disappear because the track record is. They all do. Mm. West Nile. SARS. Wine flu, Ebola, bird flu, SARS, etc., etc. They come, they light up the sky, they go away. And now it's time for the next one. But I have to say, this is a really good one, propaganda-wise, Zika. See, the people in the CDC, World Health Organization... They're always looking for an answer to the question, how can we scare the people more deeply than we scared them before? Because we want to, we are really PR agencies for the pharmaceutical industry. So we want more medical drugs and we want more vaccines and we want everybody to comply with medical orders so if we say there's an epidemic, we want people to, uh, you know, stand up and salute and do whatever their doctor tells them. This is a whole gigantic operation that goes on from year to year with all sorts of new, you know, this is the latest one. But with Zika, it could have lots of legs, so to speak, as a story that would come and go and come and go because the issue of waging war against women and pregnant women has a great deal of staying power, shall we say. Sure, this is like a twofer. You get two for the price of one. You, do, you get to punish Brazil, ruin their Olympics uh, for uh, standing in opposition to the World Bank and the IMF and so forth uh, because it's a non-aligned country. And then two... You could lose an entire generation in Brazil because uh, women there en masse are deciding either A, not to get pregnant, or B, to abort. So you get the depopulation agenda working in there. It's a twofer. You bet. Exactly. Exactly. This is direct depopulation by fear. Don't get pregnant. And every time the media announce a new case of Zika somewhere, Oh, we got three cases here in America, and it looks like it's uh, you can transmit it sexually, and maybe by saliva and this and that. You know, that just adds to the fear. And there will be women who will say, "I don't want to get pregnant. I'm not going to get pregnant. It's just too risky." So this is going to go on. Actually, I just realized there's a threefer, and you you put me wise to this uh, a while ago, and that is, I believe, it's a. Um 
It's a company in England that's developed kind of a, a suicide mosquito. Uh, and uh, explain how that works. And they're going to send this type of mosquito over and it, it won't reproduce. Yeah, Oxitec. Oxitec, yes. Uh, yes. This is another grand solution to the whole non-problem. And uh, the mosquitoes, uh, supposedly, they would uh, mate, these genetically engineered mosquitoes, they would be males and they would mate with females in the wild. Uh, females would uh, give birth to larvae, but uh, the larvae wouldn't pass through that stage. They would just die off. That's supposedly the effect. But the danger here is it's exactly the danger of GMO foods, crops, and so on, is that they are approved, certified, authorized as safe and effective with absolutely no real safety studies, which is exactly what happened in 1996 in America when uh, GMO crops were let in the door. The FDA basically said, it's up to corporations to determine safety, and the corporations said, like Monsanto, well, the FDA says it's okay, so we're, we're good. So they just sort of, you know, one hand washed the other, and that was it. That was the approval process. But these mosquitoes so, are so effective, uh, this, this system, because they have tested it elsewhere, that they totally decimate. Now, listen, nobody likes mosquitoes. They're an, they're an incredible nuisance. But uh, when you collapse a mosquito population, that's, that's going to have dramatic ecological, and it's going to cause huge imbalances. Yes, there is that. And, in fact, there is a mosquito that would replace the ones that are killed. In other words, they would move into that uh, void. They are larger, more aggressive, and so the effects of that are completely unknown. But I'm also talking about human safety studies and safety uh, right. studies on animals and so forth because none of that has been done. So all you get are assurances, look, we know that these mosquitoes are completely safe and everything is great. And then you say, well, what are you basing that judgment on? And they say, well, we know that our genetically engineered mosquitoes kill the other next generation of the other mosquitoes, and that's what safety means. Wait a minute. That has nothing to do with safety. You're just saying that the killing effect works, but we're talking about, you know, actual safety, health. Where are those studies, long-term studies? Well, we don't have to do those. Wow, uh, it's what a tangled web. Indeed, uh, we um, I, we're not going to have time to, to uh, talk about this um, uh, National Academy of Science report on on GMOs, but but very quickly, the, the report's key finding really sort of uh, cuts the legs uh, out from under the whole the major claim of having GMOs in the first place, right? Exactly. They, the promise was higher crop yields. Feed the world, end starvation with GMO crops. So the National Academy of Sciences, which is one of the most prestigious scientific organizations in America, comes out with a report. It's kind of garbled, but when you get down to the bottom line, what they're saying is we do not see any evidence that the genetic engineering of crops has produced in America higher yield greater yield. Well, that was the whole idea. Exactly. You know? That was the whole idea. So where are the major media stories on this? 
total failure, total, no, they spun it in the opposite direction to find something positive for GMOs in, in the report. Well, John, thank God we have uh, uh, health uh, reporters like yourself who can wade through these uh, reports and, um, and, and, and find, find us the truth. Uh, John Rappaport, thank you so much. NoMoreFakeNews.com. Always a pleasure, my friend. Thank you, Richard. It's great to be here. All right. My thanks to uh, Damian Murray, Ian Robertson, Albert Finzel, John Franz, all of you for listening at home. In the meantime, don't be afraid. There's nothing concealed that won't be revealed and nothing hidden that won't be made known. What you hear in the dark speak in the light, what I say in a whisper, proclaim from the housetops. Move over, Aphrodite. I'm coming home.